Hey everybody, this is Jess and you're listening to another episode of the Dale and Jess Show. you all are watching this um another episode here we are hi how are you all how are you i am actually doing quite well <coughs> that's awesome i am here right oh yes let's introduce we have a special guest we have lola prescott of the, the no shame movement here with us today Woohoo! Woo! You are Woo! officially the first guest of the Dell and Jess show. Yes. You are the do first guest. Do I get a prize? Do I get a prize? Yes, sure. Yes. Yeah, of course. I love prizes. What do you want? Um, well, Idris Elba, um, perhaps like in a shower situation, um, if he's not available... Um, Tom Hardy um, will suffice as well. So you want me to kidnap these people? And is oh that heavens, no they're... heavens! That's that's legal. You know, just <laughs> talk to their people. You know. All right, he, I'll see what I can do. Returning, returning in my calls. So you know. I, I will. I will use my Victor Newman-like reach to somehow <laughs> arrange. Um, <laughs> you know, that you all meet somehow, some way. I will see what I can do. And I will work my OPA contacts. Yes. yes. Don't worry. We, we will get, we'll make this happen. But yeah, this, yes. yeah, this is the very, so we're going to have some good time, some good conversation. So shall we just jump right in? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first thing that we will discuss today is um, we're going to go from like mild, like okay to bad, like real bad, okay? So we're going <laughs> to, this is like a warm-up. Okay, so are you ready? Uh, I'm doing I'm my ready. bird, I'm doing my bird man hand rub right now. Okay, so this is going to go from from mild to whoa. <laughs> All right, so, so first thing, um, I don't know if you all remember the books, The Case for Christ. Do you all remember those books at is all? Is this Josh McDowell? Is no. That- it's Lee Strobel. He wrote okay, that book. I, I, I get them mixed up all the time. Yes. yes. Vaguely. Well, I vaguely remember them. Yes. Well, there's a ton of the case for everything. Because you know, in the mid, well, mm-hmm. the late, the mid to late 90s, all mm-hmm. the evangelicals really did everything they could to prove that they actually are not stupid. Um, <laughs> and so they wrote all, you, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like they wrote all yes. these books and and so everything was well thought out and, and academic and intellectual. And so the case for Christ I'm came out I'm going to say academic and air quotations. No offense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. They have their own school. So, I mean, if it's in the school and in the book, it must be true. So. Well, Tangerine Voldemort had a school, too. And we see well, how that worked out. <laughs> right. Tangerine Voldemort. Well, apparently... <laughs> 
Well, um, apparently the case for Christ is being made into a movie. I am on the IMDb page right now. And um, Faye Dunaway? No. As a renowned actress? L. Scott Caldwell? Bonnie and Clyde Faye Dunaway? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't know. Um, Faye, what you doing? Well, apparently they're really making this a thing. And so the thing about it is that no one really remembers what these books are unless you were deep into the bubble of, of, of Christian land. And so there's like a whole, there's at least five books. It's like the case for God, the case for faith, the case for all types of things. And so apparently... Um, for folks who don't remember, when he wrote this book, I think I have this right, but at some point, um, Lee Schobel was like this, um, what? A fundamental well, not a racist. I'm sorry. No. I don't know why I say racist. That's <laughs> the brain. I don't know if he's racist or not. I do know he was an atheist. And so right. he um, he went on this investigative journey, like, cause he's a, like a reporter or something. And then he went on the journey mm-hmm. and then he did all this stuff to, um, to basically prove and to try to figure out if Christ actually was the chosen one in all the universe. And so apparently using his finite human research methods, he mm-hmm. figured out the biggest secret in the universe was true. And so he became a believer and here we are. I'm sorry. I'm 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 still trying to re- recapture my breath after and you said finally. Clearly, my bias is seeping out, nothing. but he he went on. And, and I mean, there's a number of books like this, and so it's actually who was it? Did C.S. Lewis do something similar too? I feel like he did. Yeah, but the thing about the thing about C.S. Lewis is that depending on how like hard line you are you're not really as much of a fan of C.S. Lewis because for some groups like the John MacArthur um, Paul Washer you oh, know so, oh, we're, we're talking about really really right. white who are people the, who now, are those people like super white I don't think I've ever heard of <laughs> listen cause I've been in the I mean I grew up around like the real fringe like not snake handler fringe but Maybe folks who maybe had a cousin who did that, but I've not heard of these. Think about those fire and brimstone preachers. But imagine if Paul Ryan was mm-hmm. talking about. Well, I mean, he he does talk about people dying, but not directly. <laughs> but it um, he imagine if Paul Ryan were. <laughs> like a fire and brimstone preacher, but maintained his even keel of talking style. That's Paul Washer. And so he was real just, I mean, if you go look up, I mean, don't do it before you go to sleep because you'll probably have nightmares. But if you get a chance, um, look up Paul Washer on YouTube and just listen to some of his stuff and then you'll be like, whoa, okay. Now the folks, the black folks that I was around who were really, you know, living for Christ, i.e. John Calvin, um, were loved Paul Washer to pieces. Like he was just, he was there. Juanita Bynum, he was there. No more sheets. <laughs> Is that the best way oh. to put it? I don't, I, that might be the best way to put wow. it. Wow, they loved him. It is. I think that's an accurate depiction. 
I'm looking. He's a missionary. So he works for a missionary, and I still don't like. Now I'm intrigued because I'm a missionary kid. Oh, so. well, apparently he's not. He's apparently ill. Oh, okay. So. I kind of feel bad now. For yeah, that's the first thing that popped up. Ryan, yeah, he's ill. I don't. I don't wish that. I don't want him to be I sick. Don't. But. Yep. I don't. I don't wish him to be sick. I'm just saying in terms of like, I think that's an apt description. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I want this person like dead. I'm just saying in terms of like, I don't get the whole, well, I feel bad for talking about him because it's just like the person is going through illness, which is something that I don't know, 99.9% of human beings on this planet have dealt with in one way, shape or form. I'm not trying to be cold, but like I, I have a hard time divorcing the theology from their circumstances. Like, oh no, he doesn't. Just because not at all. he's sick doesn't mean that he doesn't. I just, if I knew, he, like, if I had known, <laughs> right after we basically yeah. clowning him. Oh, by the way, he's sick. Oops. <laughs> but oh well. But yes, when don't don't listen to him before you go to sleep. Um, Make sure that you have something fun planned after. I'm just, I'm looking at um, his missionary society because that's the mm-hmm. first thing I wanted to learn about. And it's, yeah, full on white savior. Yep. Um, there is one woman on the staff. She is the administrative assistant. Of course she is. Um, back to this movie here. Um, so, yeah. I mean, no one really remembers it. I feel like, because you know, The Shack mm-hmm. came out already. I haven't seen that yet. We need to go see that. But, um, nobody really remembers the case for Christ. I think you had to have been old enough to know what was going on to remember it. And yes. so everyone is like, what? Maybe it'll be an Easter mm-hmm. movie. Because it comes out in April, so maybe yeah, that's <laughs> it for Easter. So, But there's not really much to say. And that's this is pretty much as mild as it gets for this evening. So you enjoyed that. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> So let's move to the second piece today that we have discussed. Okay, it's going to start getting worse. Put in your seatbelts. Are you ready? So a couple of weeks ago, Tim Keller um, was offered an award at Princeton Theological Seminary, and it caused a big hubbub. And so apparently, um, because Tim Keller is known for his very... He won't categorize it as this as such. He will say he's following the gospel. But the rest of the world that can actually, you know, read and think mm-hmm. about these things would say that he, what he talks about is very is anti-women, anti-LGBTQ, of course, and just <laughs> general white evangelical type of stuff. And now, again, I know of Tim Keller because of the black folks that I used to go to church with at some at various points were very, very into this type of stuff. And so they gobbled it all up. And so his books were right on the table next to John MacArthur. Mm-hmm. And um, what's the other guy? What's The guy who's like the mean old man on Twitter. Who is that? John Piper. Yes, him too. Um, yeah. Like he really is. He's no. like mean. It's like, wait a minute. You can't be, you got to pick one. You got to, you can't be like super mean and Calvinist like this. You got to pick. Goodness gracious. Right. And then, like, he would also be causing controversy within his own little bubble. So, apparently, they <laughs> argued because at Princeton, there's a lot of 
um, liberal, progressive, Christian folks. And so um, the folks were like, well, hey, this is really bad. Why are you giving him an award when he hates most of us who are paying the tuition here? And so there's that. Um, and so what happened is they decided not to give him the award, right. but he was still, he still gave like the keynote speech or whatever. And so people wrote about that. And one in mm-hmm. particular was written by um, Jonathan Merritt, who basically said um, <laughs> that, uh, and I'm going to read from some of the article. He says, I'm more progressive than Keller on these issues revolving, you know, around, you know, women and same-sex relationships, all of that. He says that I'm more progressive than Keller on these issues, but I disagree Mm -hmm. with PTS's decision. The American church is grappling with issues of gender and sexuality right now, and some on both sides have decided to declare their foes anathema. We must learn to make space with Christians of mutual goodwill who disagree with us on secondary theological issues. To be clear, PTS has the right to honor whoever they wish. They're not obligated to let Keller speak, much less claim this award. Saying this aside, we must ask, how does marginalizing <laughs> how does marginalizing Tim Keller make the world a better place? And we'll, my issue with it is this, though, is that one, here's my main issue. You winning, award is, you winning an award is not you being marginalized. That's first. Second, you still got to speak. Third, he has his career is built off of him adding his intellectual weight and heft and mm-hmm. power and might to giving mm-hmm. rationale to marginalize other people. That has been what his career and others like him has been built on. And hey, Let's talk about all of the women, all of the queer people, all of the people of color who don't get to speak because folks like Tim Keller are speaking there. Mm -hmm. And so this whole idea that he is marginalized is whack. The other part to me that really grinds me up is that calling these other things secondary issues Mm -hmm. is whack because who you are in the world and how that factors into how you exist is not a secondary issue. And that's why it's like, oh, talking about women and mm. how they're treated and queer people, how they're treated, these are secondary theological issues. Well, says who? To who? Like, who, like, what do you mean secondary issue? Like, bottom um, line, what you're saying is, if I walk up to you and knock you clean out with the baseball bat, mm-hmm. Oh my. That means that you can't come crying about my actions affecting you. Like you're just basically saying I that that what your reaction, your response to it is not worthy for discussion and has no merit. Here's and here's the thing about these third way, let's listen to both sides, um children of God. Um, I can say as someone who grew up, I grew up around conservative evangelicals and all these folks, and I drank that Kool-Aid for a little bit, um, that both sides, and oh, let's have a discussion about it. And then thankfully it came to my senses. Um, and I've said this a lot, like I, I do understand why people think mm-hmm. they're being progressive when they say that, because again, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid and I know what that Kool-Aid does to your brain. Um, 
now that I no longer drink it, um, I feel like I just want to round up all the third way people, the both sides people, and then just have like a workshop and like where it's like, no, let's no. This is this is why you're not being progressive. This is why you're still denying the right to exist to an entire group of people. Um, right. You are either the two sides. You either believe people can exist in their full selves um, without being harmed or you don't like, you know, I mean, it's that those are the two sides and yeah, it's just, it's, it's something, it's something that is, is difficult to, to walk to, I want to say walk away from, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but yeah, like, so folks like Jonathan Merritt and, um, um, at all like sojourner crowd even though it seems like they're maybe going a little to the left um, and you know a lot of those folks that are like let's have a dialogue a discussion y'all can go find an old island and have your little dialogue um, let everyone else be <laughs> leave everyone else but um, yeah it's, it's exhausting yeah I agree mm-hmm let them go. Yeah. Yeah. If you want a dialogue, there's an echo chamber right over there for you. No, I just don't. Like, this is so whack. Um, but I mean, the, the, all, and the words of Sheree Whitfield. Hell to the no, to the no, no, no. I have a myriad of opinions that we don't have time for, for about Tim Keller, about Princeton Seminary, about Presbyterianism. Um, the conservative and the progressive version. Um, I no, I I can't. I but yeah, I, there's not enough time. Um, it is fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating about PCUSA and that seminary. Um, being shocked um, because, and I'm reading this um, op-ed that this. So this lady, of course, you know. Well, I'm a lady, and he was nice to me kind of thing, basically. Well, and it's basically like, I worked for him, he hired women, and I don't agree with his complementarianism, but um, let's be nice to him. And because Jesus is basically. Um, and, and I love that she says in one of the last paragraphs, I worked at a PCUSA church. So y'all know, I mean, I'm assuming y'all know PCA versus PCUSA. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, PCUSA um, ordains um, ladies um, and the LGBT folks. Um, PCA does not. That's the biggest difference. Uh, they split. Crap, I knew using it. They script. They split a while ago, like a like decades ago. Um, yeah. So PCA Presbyterian Church in America is Tim Keller's denomination. Presbyterian Church USA is the other one. Is what. Uh, Princeton Seminary um, is affiliated with. And this lady that's like, he's nice to ladies, um, says, I worked at a PCUSA church in which women were marginalized more than those at Tim Keller's church. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, honey, yes, um, progressives also marginalize people. What's your point? I don't know why that's the common refrain that I get that so much. And it's like, well, 
he was nice and whatever. And it's like, I think though that the conception of, and maybe sometimes the way that it's generally said leads into this, but it's this idea that, like when we talk about like a phobia or an ism or something like that, that that somehow means this person is like this evil villain with a like a twirly mustache that's like you know Gargamel or something in the corner trying to kill the Smurfs or whatever. And it's like kill the Smurfs. It is like no, but it's it's like no, you could be totally nice and still believe things that impact the lives of other people, and that's what it is. I think this the idea. This is just someone's personal benign belief, and that it doesn't really harm anything. It's like believing in the tooth fairy or something, and that's just simply not true. And so I think that it's very, it's, it's, it's just, well, one, it's corny. Let's just say that. Like, it's very corny. But also, it's just, like, I'd rather you say it with your chest than just this whole, let's all be nice. But at the same time, um, it's just this idea that, like, they, like this is, this impacts people's lives. Right. And so this whole idea that, oh, well, you got to forgive and you got to be nice to people and, you know, we all aren't going to mm-hmm. agree it's not even about agreeing. It's like, listen, there's nobody... Tim Keller not winning a word is not going to make him exist or jump off a roof or kill himself or think that he's less than something or do any of these things. But the b- beliefs that he preaches do. There it is. Mm. And so to act like that, that that's not the case, that is like, no one is going home crying, oh my God, I said that they shouldn't ordain women and they threw a shoe at me. I think I'm going to go drink myself to death. Like, no, like that's not what's going on here. It's the other way around. Right. So I don't really have the sympathy um, for that. It's an award. And he said not to speak. <laughs> like what? Well, just by last thing, getting a taste of what marginalized people deal with every day. Um, them tears will flow uh, like Niagara Falls. It's really amazing to watch. Like you have, like, I don't even want to say it's a taste because it really isn't, but like, a tiny, tiny inkling of I can't, you can't do something because you are X or Y or Z. Um, like, I think in terms of that correlated with the the flow of, of white tears, it's, it's really amazing to watch. But, you know, but, you know, racism isn't real. No, our microaggressions aren't real. Our last news bit for today is about a video clip um by a gentleman by the name of Brian um Lawrence. He's an author who wrote Saving the Saved. Um there is a video clip of him. I'm gonna play a little bit of it now so you can listen to what he says. So yeah, when when Jesus invades your life, so if you're if you're looking at this and you're going, I'm a new Christian or what does it mean to be a Christian? No matter what your culture or ethnicity may be, when Jesus invades your life, he now becomes preeminent and supreme, which means he's now the son that I've got to orbit my life around and not the other way around. In other words, I'm not the S-U-N that he orbits around. And I go, let me just have enough Jesus to make myself happy. No, it's an incredible paradigm shifter. That's what Paul gets to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he says, if anyone's in Christ, you're a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. Now, that's got comprehensive implications. And one of those implications is how I view matters of race. Right? He saves me. He doesn't eradicate my blackness. But now he becomes 
the supreme place of priority in my life, which means I must subjugate my blackness to his Jesusness. Okay. Okay. Okay, so um so let's talk about it. <laughs> I watched it um uh, a few hours ago so I could prepare and I took notes. <laughs> no, I listened to it and I screamed. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I felt so bad because I was just like, what, sir? Are you like, he had the strangest of faces. He really meant that thing. <laughs> oh, no. I just, I, I wrote some key phrases down like, Jesus invades your life. Yes, let's, let's start like, there because that scared me. So much I locked my windows. I locked my doors. <laughs> I made sure that 911 was on speed. Like, I did all these things to make sure because when he says, like, Jesus is invading, like, we've made movies about invasions. Like, shouldn't we do something about this? Dominion type of talk. When Jesus invades your life. What? <laughs> I'm just, I'm like, I don't want Jesus busting down my windows and knocking over my doors just to get to my heart. Like, at least knock. See, black Jesus would knock. No. Jesus isn't, black Jesus doesn't have time for that. I think, I, I think black Jesus would at least knock first before he just, you know, blows your door over. Unless Black Jesus, you know, I feel like he'd send an email. Yeah, me. something because he know you don't show up to people's houses uh, without asking, saying you're coming. White Jesus would just show up with a green mm. bee can't um, a casserole or something, um, and just show up. <laughs> but Black Jesus would at least sex. Hey, are you home? Can I come over before he shows up and, and and changes your heart? But yes, that that terrified me that phrase, and I was like, you said that with such a straight face when Jesus invades I mean... your life, and I'm just like, oh my god. They got you. <laughs> they got you. I mean, no, that's just dancing. I'm sorry. That's terrible. But it's just, I mean, exactly what white, a lot of white evangelical Christians need to hear. And they can, they'll be propping them up for years. <laughs> see? Like, see? Black people? I mean. <laughs> he's, he's one of the good ones. Is he getting paid? I hope he's at least getting compensated. Well, he's a pastor of a church somewhere. Um, I didn't really, I was too busy watching the video and laughing and locking my doors to, um, to research more, but I believe he's, a, he's an author. He wrote Saving, I mean, you know, you know, you know every few years we recycle some of the same themes. So this is probably, this is my guess, I could be wrong. My guess is that his book is the black author version of what Radical was years ago. Remember that book, Radical? That everybody loved? So, it was this book called Radical by, what was the oh, guy's name? Basically, you know those books about how, you know, every so often someone writes a book about how to get back to living for God and being radical for God. I mean, all of them wrote similar books, but it wasn't any either one of those. There, it's all it's all the same mill. Basically, we gotta live for God. We have to not be sinners. 
We have to be on fire for God. And even that whole, like, yes, David Platt is his name. What is reaching he's doing? I thought he was Mr. Fantastic for a second. I was just like, right. But here's the thing that was so jacked up about it is that he was trying to sit there and try to act like he was saying something radical about the differences between forgiveness and reconciliation. But forgiveness is never forced. Number one. And number two, reconciliation actually requires that you actually listen and attempt to understand what the other person is saying. You can't and actually acknowledge that the person that you've actually wounded the other person. Like there was no acknowledgement that, oh, yeah, I actually hurt you. And you just want to kind of, it was like an attempt to like sweep everything out of the rug. And I'm like, that's not how any of this works. And there are people that actually do the work. Like, dip, there are real diplomats that are probably sitting there, like, rolling over in their graves. Like, this is not what I did. <laughs> yes. Any other phrases that stuck out to you all when uh, watching this video? Yeah. I, I mean, I have, I have said this before. Racial reconciliation is the fluffer of racial dialogue. Um, like, it, like, I twitch. I literally, like, when I hear racial reconciliation, I'm just like, no, no. Um, and I think one thing that gets me in this is kind of moving, veering off to be snarky, but it's the same thing I say when folks like Raven Simone get on TV and fix their mouth to say, I'm an American, I'm not a black American. I mean, Raven, I mean, people can say whatever they want. Um, the next time you fit the profile, um, when you're driving in your car and that cop pulls you over, <laughs> actually, officer, I have submitted my blackness to Jesus. Um, you know, let me know how that works for you. Let me know if that gets you out of fitting the profile. Um, if it's a shield. Yeah. I was just like, what, sir? Like, that is the epitome of the sunken place. Yep. There it is. <laughs> like, that's the thing. That's always what it's like, do you believe that shields you? Um, because if so, then I want to know how that works. And if it does, um, are you, uh, where can I buy that? Because I would too would like that shield. <laughs> I'm buying one for everyone in my family. <laughs> I like to ask him, what is his blackness? What does that mean? And right. and I would like to know what he means by that. Because, you know, blackness, at least in in at least here, I don't There's know, it might be true for others, and I'm, I'm not well-versed enough to know, but I do know, at least here in America, it's probably true elsewhere, too, that, you know, for us, being black is like a, you know, it's like a sociopolitical thing. And so it's, we all, what what binds us is the the generally common experience of oppression that we tend to have. And so if mm-hmm. he's saying that I have to submit that to Jesus, well, is Jesus going to do something about it? <laughs> like, like, that's my question. What's also, yeah, what's also problematic is, is because I have questions and need answers. What is your basis of understanding uh, in regards to Christian identity? Because it sounds like from the video that you think of everything in a hierarchical, hierarchical sense, including identity. So, which is completely antithetical to the kingdom, 
we're talking about the kingdom of God and God's ways. And you just basically saying Jesus' words are the first should be last and the last should be first. It's completely off. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, I'm confused. I have to, like these questions, these are questions that need answers, obviously. Because that makes no sense. Yeah, Christmas gifts. Guess what? You can submit your stuff. Like when you submit your blackness to Jesus, do you like where do you p- actually put it? Like, do you set it down somewhere? Do you put it under a rug? Um, yeah, is there an invoice? Like, how do you? Can you get it through Amazon Prime? Like, what do you do? And I want to know what you get. Is there a bell clip that you can put? Is it? A, you can get attached to and just clip it to your belt. Yeah, like, like I want to know how you do this. Is it stuff that you can put in your pocket? Because where do you like? Mm-hmm. That's my question. I want to know how you submit it. Do you need a stamp? Do you have to mail it in? Is it like, is it like box tops? Oh, is it configured via Apple mm-hmm. Wallet? Can I scan it? Hmm. I just need to know these things. I need to know where to send my blackness. If I can get something, if I could get Jesus in return, like, do I get super? Like, I mean, there are lots of questions that I really want to have. But the, in all seriousness, what I would like to know is. If you submit your blackness to Jesus, then who are you after you do that? And and not in like in the essential way that sometimes we talk about people being black, but I'm talking about in the sense like like Lola just said, is that it doesn't matter what you call it, like you can literally call yourself whatever you want, but that's not quite how labels work in society. And so you may call the chair in your room whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I you know, I this is not sympathy because I think that idea is actually very dangerous. And you know what? A large part of me, you know, I wish that could be true. Like, I wish you could just be who you are and not have to worry about these labels and whatever. That really sounds very nice. The problem is that our society has been organized in such a way that you can't get to that before you actually deal with the mess that, that's been made um, because of how society's been organized. And so if you want to get to the colorblind well, I don't even like saying that, but if you want to get to that society, you first have to deal with how we've arranged the colors in the first place. Um, and no one's willing to do that. And so it's a lot of work that people want to skip. And so that's why it always rings hollow. Like, you know, I would love to be able to, and I mean, I'm not colorblind because I think that's silly, but I I would love to just be able to talk and chill and hang and do whatever with anybody because I don't, I see that you're white. I see that you're brown or red or whatever, but it does it really does not ultimately matter to me. However, I don't control the world and I don't control the world that I come into. None of us do. And we've come into a world where race has been built as a hierarchy and white people and whiteness is on top. And until we can deal with that, we can't talk about submitting anything we need to submit, how about somebody submit their whiteness to Jesus? How come that's never the, the topic of discussion? You know what I mean? Like, how come no one ever has to submit their whiteness to Jesus? Particularly when it comes to black and brown people in these multicultural, big air quotes, multicultural spaces. Um, they actually have done studies and that's shown that black and brown people who t- attend these multicultural type of churches tend to agree with dominant white conservative ideas. So who's really submitting who to what? Ultimately, I think people are submitting their blackness to, to, to whiteness, but that's a whole nother story. What I want to see is I want to see um, them make a movie like Get Out, but make it for like black Christians who talk like that. 
I want to I want to see that happen. And so what happens is, instead of a cup of tea that they stir, they like play really soft hill songs in the background. And as soon as you hear, as soon as you hear somebody sing like "Oh" or something, like they do every song, then <laughs> oh yes, one of those. And so as soon as somebody comes up, one of those. I swear, every song is the same. <laughs> so see, I'm looking at some things on this Twitter feed, and it's just so interesting. Um, this is my favorite. Did you know that you are here today because of the patience of God? Mm, all right. Yeah, we... <laughs> yeah we're just going to leave that right there. Do we have anything else to say about this in his sunken place? Are we going to try to get him out or should we leave him there? Okay, my last thing is, again, is this, is this, um, so, what did I call it? A barrier? Did you, is this a barrier or this, is this a shield? Is this a shield? Because you want to talk about submitting blackness? Okay, so the next time... I walk into a job with wearing my hair the way it grows out of my head, and I'm told that I look unprofessional. How does um, submitting my blackness to Jesus help me in that situation? Um, <laughs> next time, you know, the next time, like, uh, it is like I my credentials are doubted or questioned um, by someone I just met. You know, a whole host of, again, like every microaggression that we deal with for existing in public. Um, I want to know, again, how that shields me. Um, what, like, how that is an answer. How that is an answer to internalized superiority um, and bias. Um, and, and again, can I get some of that from my friends and family? Yeah, I want to know if there's like a... A, a, a deal like if you buy so many that you know maybe you get some money off um i need to know mm -hmm. how this person this is worth going into debt for i would think right like spend your refund check on this because trust me you'll get it back in spades yeah that's the thing i mean <laughs> you might as well <laughs> you might as well i don't see why not well, if that's all we have um, for that, then we can stop that part, sure. Hey everybody, we are starting a new section called Sunday School. And in that section, we're gonna answer all of your listener questions, any advice you might need about church issues or church relationships, Christians, stuff that maybe you never quite understood or things you didn't understand in church or stuff that you always heard people say but never really quite got or Maybe it's something you read in the Bible that you didn't get. So if you have anything like that, feel free to send them to the Dell and Jeff Show at gmail.com and we will answer them. So look forward to that section coming up in the next couple of episodes. Tell us about No Shame Movement and, and all the work that you're doing. Well, No Shame Movement um, started uh, as a conversation on Twitter. Um, I discovered this community of folks, I guess maybe, or came across a community of folks a few years ago who, like me, grew up in conservative Christian evangelical circles, um, and particularly circa 1990s, um, when the fervent um, Jesus 
want you to keep it in your pants or keep your legs closed movement resurfaced um, with vigor. And, um, you know, we all kind of survived that and left it behind. And yeah, I uh, had a conversation. I learned about the term purity culture, um, which basically, and I'll get into that definition for listeners who might not know. Um, but yeah, uh, there were a couple things happening. There were tags going around um, for people to tell their stories. Um, and there were um, what I call the Purity Brigade uh, folks um, with their own tags um, talking about, you know, keeping it, keeping it pure for Jesus. And at the same time, um, purity culture was um, starting to be a conversation, was starting to be something that people were talking about. But uh, the conversation was twofold. It was either centered on the experiences of white um, straight, cisgender, middle-class women, um, usually with a college education or more, um, with 2.5 children, blah, 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 um, and no one else's experience. And then second, there was a lot of, um, well, purity culture is bad, but, um, Jesus wants you to wait until a heterosexual marriage. So a lot of people who are speaking out against it, but not like, really speaking out against it, um, just saying, how can we deal, how can we do this in a nicer way? And so it's like, okay, well, what about the rest of us um, <laughs> who are dealing with this um, and don't really fit into or want either of these narratives? Um, so it's inspired by that along with, um, uh, I remember uh, Janet Mock had started the tag Girls Like Us. Um, for um, trans women of color to share their stories. Um, and at that time, tags were, tags had a sort of a different life than they do now. Um, but I remember um, that that caught on really fast and there's a lot of great stories. And I was like, yeah, like a platform, like a tag for people to use um, where they can like, you know, share their stories. Uh, so I consulted with two people um, on Twitter uh, about the name, and we started out with No Shame Movement. Um, there was a previous uh, pro-purity, um, I guess, a tag movement um, with the unfortunate name of No Sex Movement. Um, and so, well, let's, and then it's like, well, I was looking at shame. So yeah, no shame movement. So it started off as a tag. Um, it grew to a Twitter page. Um, then it moved to Tumblr. Uh, then uh, I bought the domain, I guess, three years ago. Uh, and it's been growing organically ever since. Uh, I have um, day jobs plural, J jobs. So um, I lately in the past uh, few months, um, I haven't had as much time um, to devote towards it. At this point, it's still a labor of love um, for me. So I mean, I do this all for free. Uh, but the point, the, the purpose or what it sort of evolved into was um, it's maintained the purpose of being a platform for people to share their stories. Uh, about leaving, um, uh, cons basically leaving behind conservative 
theology uh, or conservative ideologies about sexuality uh, and kind of mm. what that process is like. And they uh, there's a number, there's a few ways. You can you, um, share the t- on the tag. Um, a lot of people um, will share on um, the Tumblr site. And uh, I mainly curate um, a lot of re- relevant information. And again, a lot of this came out of conversations that I had with followers. Um, we talk a lot about sex ed. Um, myself, in, um, and I include myself in this, many people I talked to had no proper sex education. Um, true story, I did not know the term clitoris until I was 22. Um, true story. Uh, because of the lack of sex ed I got. Um, a lot of people basically had to relearn how to have healthy relationships. There are people who um, this had followed them into their marriage. Um, and, you know, just a lot of the other stuff that goes along with it. Um, we talk a lot about gender norms. Um, we talk about identity, um, orient, uh, sexual orientation, um, body shaming. Um, and, and lately in the last year and a half or two years, a lot about abuse as well. Um, it's a very abusive, um, mentality, um, purity culture is. And so, uh, that's basically what the purpose of No Shame Movement is. It's, so it's a platform. I curate stuff. Um, sometimes we have Twitter chats, um, and... Yeah, um, still working on growing it, still working on expanding. Um, my purpose for the site is, um, you know, and, and it goes back to why I was created. You know, I would read these blogs. Um, I won't name names, but I'd read blogs from some of your um, evangelical faves. Uh, and um, I'd say, well, that's not talking about me. Um, or I don't see myself anywhere on this site or in this in this post. And so my goal is always, um, I want um, people of all backgrounds to look at this and say, this is for me. Um, and it's a work in progress, uh, but that's um, ultimately what it's for. Well, yay, I appreciate that. Um... It's a great site. I love it. I like the work you're doing. I like this is very inclusive. I like that it's including all people. Also, like though, and I think it's something that it's not talked about enough. Um, that the aspect of yes. sex education and just sexual exploration, um, because that mm-hmm. is often a part that I think gets left out. And I think, like reflecting on the circles that I've been around, and we talk about this, and it's. When we, particularly with when Christians, and we go into the sex positive route, which is fine, cool, but I think what often doesn't happen is that it goes from being the the chaste virgin in the corner, and then it's shifted mm-hmm. into high gear into oh, okay, if you need to go have sex with twelve people now and be good at it now, and mm-hmm. it's never really a, I guess in my opinion, a humanized discussion about sex. How many of these folks, you know, like you just shared even some of your own personal story. And so a lot of folks, you know, there's things that exploration age when you're learning and figuring things out and, 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 and you know, coming into your own, you can miss that part. 
you know? And so it's this, it, it, you know, it, there are adults who are trying to figure themselves out who, you know, they can't go sit in 10th grade and sex ed, you know what I mean, to figure this stuff out anymore. And so I think that that's a really important piece um, that you have in there. So I appreciate that. And I talk and I, and yeah, and I appreciate like, and I, I, I try to talk a lot about uh, consent and I know, and there's a lot of other really great um, bloggers um, who have been talking about this too and how the conversation um, kind of glosses over or leaves consent out. And I started getting like, this is like three or four years ago, um, sort of a slew of uh, uh, posts on Tumblr from very young women, like seven, between 17 and I'd say 19, um, all with a similar question. Um, I um, am leaving, you know, starting to change my mind on sexuality and being a Christian. Um, my boyfriend really wants to have sex. Should I have sex with him? Because I think guys, because don't guys really need that stuff? Um, I would get a variation of this question <laughs> Um, uh, a few times, and that's one thing um, where I realized, you know, abstinence as well is something that I try to talk about a lot. Um, I I abstain right now by choice. Um, that will change in the future, um, depending on when he just Elba decides to call me back. <laughs> but um, <laughs> call me Idris. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But um, I do talk a lot. Like I think I try to emphasize that as much as possible, because um, there's like this in between where where it's like, well, guys, like especially for a lot of um, young women, men want sex from you. They're trying to get it from you, and it's your job to keep it from them. But there's never this talk of, well, maybe you want to have sex, or maybe you want to, but not now, or maybe you want to do just some do some stuff, but you know, maybe not. The kind of sex that that involves like contraception or condoms. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what is that in between, and how do people navigate that? And most importantly, um, you have a right to say no in any situation, and you have a right for your no to be validated. Um, and you have your right for yeah for your no to be heard and respected. Yeah, that's great. Um, and and just letting women know, because especially a lot of women, um, um, a lot of women would write in and it's almost like they feel like, when should I be having sex? Should I be having sex by now? And it's always the same. You should be having sex whenever you're ready. There's no deadline. Um, some people are ready when they're 18. Some people are ready when they're 35. Mm -hmm. um, there's no deadline. Um, no one should ever pressure you into a deadline. Um, you're ready when you're ready. And trust me, from experience, um, it's it's do not go further than you're comfortable with. Um, you know, and I've learned. I'm thankful that I've learned that lesson. Um, but yeah, you you know yourself better than anyone else, and you know when you're ready. That's a good thing to say because I think, like I said before, it's this often this this. I think one of the things that gets messed up is your ability to learn how to say no because you've for so long have not had the you have not ever been in a position where you get to make mm -hmm. decisions for your own body and so saying mm -hmm. no to authority figures or people who you perceive to be authority figures or 
you you don't your body does not belong to yours like that's what we're literally taught in a lot of these churches that your body is really not yours and so your body belongs Mm -hmm. to god and so whatever you do it has to be cleared through this person that you can't see or through the person the people who are quote unquote over you and so if you're a woman Mm -hmm. You know, what does God say about your body? And then what does the man want to do with your body? And, and then all these other things. So the whole autonomy piece is just lost. Yeah. And I also think that on top of that, you have this whole, well, men want that. And it's like, no. The truth of the matter is you're basically assuming that the, hmm. that the, that the particular person that you're dealing with is an infant or an animal. And... I mean, in essence, you, you by your very mm-hmm. decision, whether or not you choose to engage or how you choose to engage with that person also changes their dynamic. And it's just, you, you start to ask questions about, okay, what really is important to me? And my power is not composed of what's between my legs. Like, that's not, you're more mm-hmm. than just that. And... I guess in essence, I think the thing that kind of drives me crazy about it is that when in this conversation, there's always this there's, there's this assumption that, oh, well, it's the guy, you know, I'm just supposed to do that. And there's so many things that you're suddenly socialized mm-hmm. to do. And it's like, whoa, like, where did this come in? So, I mean, I'm sure, and it's part of this mm-hmm. transition, you're, you're rethinking and reexamining a lot. I agree. Yeah. I think it's great that 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 it approaches those things. As I've usually found, um, the the sex positive talks, um, particularly even in the Christian world, I found them often lacking because it's just it goes from one you're shamed because you don't because you don't um, because you have feelings yeah. and whatever and and, and the body the conservative folks shame you and then you move away from that kind of get shamed by the progressive folks too because you're not instantly this sex expert. Um, and so it's kind of like this really weird space where you really, and you really don't have anywhere to go because in one sphere, it's bad to talk about sex. And in another sphere, it's bad to not at least present yourself as being sexually knowledgeable and experienced. And, and so you really don't have anywhere to go. And so, I, again, I really, really appreciate um what you do with that. Um, how can people help you out? How can people help you with what it is that you're doing? Um, you can share your stories on Tumblr. Um, that's the biggest thing. Um, uh, so the, it's, it's no shame movement.com. Um, so you can access the site without Tumblr, but if you're on it, you can follow us. Um, it's also on Twitter. Um, no shame move. Um, M-O-V with no E. And uh, it's also um, on Pinterest, on Facebook. Um, yeah, so those are, but twi- uh, Twitter and Tumblr are the two accounts that are most active. Uh, I, um, once my day jobs die down a little bit, I'm going to sit down and um, try to sort of... Uh, plan out a few more um i guess uh posts yeah, and like try I to do some series um i have in the past um had guest posts 
Um, and Zell, you were one. I was. Who were the guests with? Yay! Yeah, I want to do one of those again. Um, unfortunately, I cannot pay people. I really wish I could, uh, but I'm very upfront about that. Um, it's, uh, but I, what I've been trying to do is, uh, the, one of the main reasons for the uh, guest post is I'm a firm believer in staying in my lane. Um, and, you know, I want uh, diverse voices. Um, I can speak about being a black, uh, cisgender, straight woman. Um, that is my lane. Um, I don't have, I'm not qualified to talk about anyone else's experiences. Um, so, and one of the things I really love about social media is I've been able to build really good relationships um, with people um, and have uh, gotten folks to, you know, share their stories. Um, and that was the big thing with the guest posts um, is I had, uh, diverse amount of folks um, who were sharing their stories um, from different gender identities um, and backgrounds. Um, one of my main, and I should say, there's two main goals I have uh, for No Shame Movement. I um, want to be uh, one of many at some point. Um, right now, there's not a whole lot of other sites that, um, are talking about sexuality and Christianity um, in this vein. Mm -hmm. There's 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 a few. Um, there's fo and there's there's folks Damn on Twitter like y'all, um, and uh, there's folks like Diana Anderson, um, who wrote a really great book about purity culture. Um, you should definitely buy it. Yeah, damage yeah, good. Damage it, was good. Really, it was really good. Very very good. And she early supporter of the site, awesome person. Um, yeah. Uh, so I really want to be, I really would love to see, um, you know, other people start their own platform. Um, because, you know, there's, like I said, there's things that I can see um, from my experience. There's a thousand things that, um, you know, like, for example, people who are not able-bodied or people who are non-binary um, or, you know, a whole host of other people, um, microaggressions that they, you know, they can see that I can't. Um, so, yeah, I would love to see like 20 or 50 or 100 other sites um, pop up. Hey, family, thanks for tuning in to the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Dell and Jess. That's D-E-L-L-A-N-D-J-E-S-S. And if you have any questions or thoughts or whatever else, um, just not spam, uh, email us at the Dell and Jess show at gmail.com. <laughs>